Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. We're a series called The Fruit of the Spirit, and we're down to the last two fruit. Yeah, okay. I think this is about, about week 11 of talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And it's important to realize that all of these fruit flow into one another. They're actually part and parcel of one another. They're not like this fruit separate from that fruit. So love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, all of these things are, are together. They, they, they're one fruit, but many, many aspects of that fruit. And that fruit is to flow out of your relationship with God. Out of the Spirit of God in you comes this fruit on the tree, and the tree being your life, or, or the branches, as the Bible Jesus says that you are the branch. He's the vine, and if you're connected to him, then his Spirit conducts and, and, and allows this fruit to flow onto your life so that other people can, can partake of that fruit in your life. There's incredible benefit to you, the branch, but it's not eating your own fruit. You don't do that. And we've covered a lot of ground. I encourage you to go back and get the, uh, you know, start at the first part of the series. Open your Bible. Use, use what we're talking about as a Bible study. You will benefit, incorporate that into your life, and, and become a fruitful person. That's really, really important for God. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at a fruit called gentleness. Gentleness is something that I looked at and I thought, I don't know, what, what do you talk about with gentleness? Seriously. And I thought, you know, what is it? And why, why don't we put more emphasis into it? And very few people actually preach on gentleness. In fact, uh, I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon just on gentleness. Well, this morning, you're going to hear one just on gentleness and what it is. I think the pushback on gentleness is that uh, one of the other translations of, of gentleness, and it's prautis in the Greek language, it's translated meek. Uh, it's also translated humility or humble. And one of, one of the reasons I don't believe that it's talked about a whole lot is because meek gets misconstrued with weak. That if you're a meek person, you're a weak person. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's not passivity either, that if you're meek or gentle, you're just a pushover, you're passive, you're a doormat for whoever wants to run over you and wipe their dirty feet on you with their attitudes. And so we fight back. It's like, I'm not, I'm not going to be meek. I'm not going to be gentle. I'm a, I'm a fighter. I want to push back. You, you scrap with me, look out, better duck. Uh, and, and we see that played out all over social media. We see it in relationships. We see it escalate in even in marriages. You start one, look out, you elevate your voice. I can, I can yell louder than you can yell. Uh, it, it, it goes into every relationship in our lives, the, 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 the tendency for us to be fighters, whereas gentleness seems to go totally against that. But what we're going to discover this morning with this fruit of the Spirit called gentleness, and it's mentioned in Galatians 5, verse 23, along with long-suffering, which we will, or self-control, whether which we will look at uh, down the track. Have you ever met somebody 
that you thought, man, they got it all together. You might be sitting here right now. You might be married to somebody like that. They've got wealth. They've got status. They've got strength. They've got resolve. They've got a prowess about them with their thought life. They're, they're, they're uh, assertive. They've got it all together. Except you notice with that person, there's one big thing that's lacking in their altogetherness, and that is they're not a nice person. <laughs> and that, that one flaw, that big flaw, unravels everything else or seems to diminish, if you will, everything that they have going for them. Gentleness puts that nice in person, in your person. Gentleness is such an attractive character, such a, uh, an attractive fruit, that if we can get a hold of that, even though we may have everything else going for us, if we can get a hold of this character this morning, this fruit of the Spirit, then something amazing is going to happen, and we're going to discover what that amazing is. You can have wealth or health or strength or position or status, everything going for you. But if you don't use that strength to empower other people, and that's what gentleness is, it's using every resource that you have on other people. It's sad to see somebody that does have power, and it could be in, in their position, it could be uh, uh, physical strength or mental ability or titles or wh whatever it is, but they use that on themselves and they don't empower anybody else. That, that can be all the way on the scale to a narcissist person to somebody that's just plain old selfish, kind of goes hand in hand. But there's something so unattractive about that. But don't we love it when we see someone that has power, has strength, has ability, has wealth, has status, and they use that to empower other people. That is, used to be referred to, with, with the male gender anyway, what a gentleman. He's a real gentle man. He's got power. He's got position. He's got the ability to do whatever he wants, but he chooses in the ever I want to help other people that are weak, perhaps that need empowerment. Not to care about that person, I believe, or, or even another step to control other people because you've got the power to do that is one of the worst, most selfish traits that a human being can have. The grace to, uh, of the fruit of the spirit called gentleness is the grace to give to other people. And that's mentioned again in, in Galatians. Gent gentleness is to be adaptable to the needs of those around you. That's a dictionary definition of it. Opposite of that is rude, disrespectful, aggressive, brutal, crude, vulgar. All of these things are called the works of the flesh in Galatians. They're not attractive at all. They're not the fruit that God gives through his spirit. Well, the good news is, like Paul said, the old man died. It's no longer I that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. Christos is the spirit of God 
living in me can change the way that I behave and can change what's coming out on the fruit of my life. So it's not works, selfishness. Philippians 4, 5 says this. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That's not just that the Lord is near as in coming back, but the Lord is near you, even in you. The Spirit of God, if you've asked Jesus Christ into your heart, it gives you his Spirit. Gentleness, again, the, the word uh, prowess means this. It means meekness, humility. It refers to being kind, patient, considerate, humble in your interactions with people. Some things that I uh, want to come up with and, and came up with for gentleness, gentle, my own definition. Gentleness is when you have power to dominate, but choose instead to empower others. Gentleness is having the strength to destroy, but choosing instead to build. Proutase, again, was used initially, the word proutase, P-R, I'll spell it for you, P-R, A-U-T-E-S, it's a Greek word. And it was used for a powerful horse under control. See, a, a wild horse and a tamed horse both have incredible strength and incredible power. But one of them is out of control. The other one has that power, that strength under control. That's gentleness. You got the strength. You've got the power. Again, that could be position or status or physical strength or your wealth. You've got the strength, but you're not out of control with it. You've got the strength, but you don't use it to control other people. You've got the power, but it's under the control of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. That's what gentleness is. Now, I don't like horses, and there's a reason why I don't like horses. I had two really, yeah, somebody goes, what? It's a horse person here. They scare me. Seriously, like I, I was in, uh, I've got um, some family that have a farm in Virginia, and they've always been in the horses. And so I saw their horse. I said, I'd like to ride a horse. They go, yeah, take old Maggie or whatever the horse was. <sighs> she's tame. She's in control. I got on that horse. And a horse can sense when you don't know what you're doing. I don't know what it is. It's horse sense. That's what it is. <laughs> and they're smart. Like, they are, so, they are such smart animals that it's scary. Like, they can't talk, but, man, can they think. And I got on this horse, and this horse, you know, reading the horse's thoughts, is, hey, he's a dummy. He's, he, he's not used to riding. I can tell by the way he's kind of sloppy in the saddle. Uh, the way his feet are in the stirrups, the way he doesn't know how to control the whatever that, the reins. Thank you. <laughs> I got on this horse. I don't remember if it was called Maggie, but I'll just use Maggie anyway. And the horse just took off toward the barn or the stables. And I'm like, I'm hanging on. I'm like half sliding off the stupid thing and, or the smart thing. And yeah, I'm, I'm thinking... My goodness, like, I'm pulling back. Like, I, I think, pull back, hit the brakes, hit the brakes hard. I'm yelling, wow, pulling back on it. Didn't matter. And that thing just went straight for the barn, and I, I don't know how many feet in front of the barn, it just hit the brakes, 
and I went whew, right over the top. And uh, so lucky, seriously, that I didn't die. And then the thing just looked at me like, fool. I got strength, I got more power than you, and I got more brains than you. Don't get back on me until you know what you're doing. Learn how to ride me, or don't bother. And the thing just, you know, kind of galloped back into the paddock to eat some more grass and talk about other things with its friends, and left me sitting there thinking, what the heck, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't like horses. Then I went to Fiji, Bulabanaka. <laughs> I went to some of the outer islands, and this guy, Pastor Chovethi, I think his name was, he had a, um, had a horse out there in one of the outer, outer islands. Like, I'm thinking, wow, this is an unusual place to have a horse, but he used it to get up and down the mountain. Uh, couldn't really take it off the little island. And we're talking about horses, and I'm telling him how my bad experience with a horse, and I don't like horses, they're just powerful animals, and uh, the horse is there, and I'm, I'm turning my back to talk to Pastor Chovethi, and the next thing, man, I was flying through the air. That horse kicked up when I had my back, that's how, that's why I don't like horses, they're cowards, absolute cowardly, and the thing kicked me so hard, it knocked the wind out of me, I thought I'd broken my, my tailbone, I went flying, I couldn't even walk, I got up off the ground, I'm like, wow. You know, you're on an island like that. They don't, like, go to the nearest hospital. This is like, I'm at the mercy now uh, of, of people that live in straw huts. Like, this is crazy stuff. Like, and I looked at that thing, and I'm, and I'm thinking, are you right? Like, I want to kill you. If you got a gun, just takes one bullet. And, and I don't even know why it did that. It just sensed. I don't like him. He, he got to ride one of my friends, and... My friend didn't kill him, so I'm going to finish the job. And, uh, but there's something about something powerful that's out of control. Your tongue is very, very powerful. James says it can, set out, it can light on fire a whole world. That's how wars are caused. Power of life and death is in the tongue. Very powerful. Your vocabulary, your attitude, your wealth. Your position, if you're an employer or a boss or self-employed, you got employees underneath you, 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 you sit in a very powerful position in life. If you're a parent, you've got power. You've got authority over children. How, how, how weak the vessel of, of a child. You've got, you've got power. And if it's, in, if it's under control, and that's what gentleness is, then that power is not an abnormal use, is in abuse. That power under control is a beautiful thing. One of my favorite boxers, and I do follow boxing, and you know that because I like to talk occasionally about boxing in my sermons, and my wife hates boxing, and sometimes she'll go, what are you looking at on my iPhone? And, and I'll just show her two guys beating each other up. She goes, oh. Oh, you know, put the headphones on so she can't hear it, hear the whole thing, the commentary. And uh, but I just love it. I just love watching two really strong guys try to kill each other. It's just something. It's like a modern day version of Gladiators, the Coliseum. I guess it's in my blood. I don't know. I've always liked boxing. <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite boxers is a guy named George Foreman. And if you follow boxing from way back in the 70s. 
then you'll know about George. You'll know about George Foreman. And George Foreman was defeated by Muhammad Ali. Most people know who Muhammad Ali is. Uh, most people know George Foreman because he had a line of barbecues and commercials. And he's a big gentleman, but he wasn't a gentleman back then. And he tried to just beat Muhammad Ali up, and he lost the fight, famous rope-a-dope, where the ropes were loosened, and Ali taunted him and got him to wear himself out. And then the, the next fight was against a guy uh, named Joe Young, I believe it was. And, uh, and he fought him, and he lost on a decision as well. He went back to the locker room, and in the locker room, he died. He was trying to cool down, and uh, something happened. His trainer, his doctor were in, was in the locker room, and he just, bam, went unconscious. And he went before the Lord. Now, this is a vile, uh, not a gentleman at all, kind of a person that had a lot of power. And he goes before the Lord, and he sees the risen Christ, and he just has uh, an encounter more than just a vision and it changed his life. He saw the blood from the crown coming out of the, the forehead. He saw the, the blood and the, and, the, and the nails coming out of, out of the hands of, of Jesus. And he saw what Jesus did for him. And Jesus came into him and showed him his future. He gave up boxing for 10 years after he had that, that encounter with the Lord, became an evangelist. He went around just preaching to every, had no fear at all. Before that, he, would, he, he, he loved to beat up on Christians. If he found out that they were a Christian, he thought, oh, this is good. I'm just going to beat them up because <laughs> they're you know, a little bit of pass, passivity inside of them or something. Uh, but he went for it. And he became an evangelist, became a pastor, uh, just one of the most outspoken people for Jesus because he had that, that encounter, much like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with the risen Lord where, uh, where, where Jesus said to Paul, why do you kick uh, against the sharp sticks? Why, why, are you, why are you persecuting me? Because Paul had this power. He was a powerful man going about persecuting the Lord. But something changed Something changed in, in, in Big George Foreman where he became a gentleman. And I remember listening to him once, and he said that uh, somebody spit in his face. I thought, man, like, who would spit in a guy's face that's, I don't know, 6'5 or whatever he is and still could hit you, kill you? So this guy spit in my face and called me a coward. Instead of, like, taking the guy's head off, he just told him how much Jesus loved him. He had that power under control. That's what gentleness is. Paul got that power under control of the Spirit. Paul, who went about persecuting Christians and held the coat of those that stoned Stephen and, and, and had power and authority given to him by the Sanhedrin and the rulers of the Jewish community, the nation at the time, had an encounter with the risen Lord. And he became a gentle giant, if you will. Almost every person that did anything for God in a big way, and you can go back to Abraham, and Abraham's called the father of our faith. He has a commission. God says, in you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's the commission of the church today. 
the vision of this church, grace the nations, take the hand, the favor of God, the ability undeserved of God, and go out and bless the nation. Start with your neighborhood. Start with your family. Be a, be a blessing to everybody. Take the, take the ability and the favor of God across the street. Take it to your family barbecue or, the, or that birthday party or back to the office with you. And God said to Abraham, in you, all these heathen nations, they were doing ch child sacrifices, the Canaanites and, the, and all these ites. Anyway, you know, and, and, and God says, go and bless them. Get them to stop killing each other. Go out and bless the nations. And so Abraham went out there with this commission of kindness, if you will, to be a blessing to everybody and spread this thing called faith in God. And his nephew Lot, he takes Lot along with him. God said, no, don't take anybody with you. Go out by yourself. They're all moon worshipers in, or of the Chaldees. And Abraham goes out with this commission, takes Lot with him. And Lot's got this, uh, he said, man, this guy's a pushover, Abraham. He's blessed. Like God keeps multiplying herds and flocks and all, all, all the wealth that Abraham's getting. And I'm just riding his coattails and I'm along for the ride. <laughs> He's got something called faith. And man, am I enjoying it. So, so Lot goes and he starts to multiply and, and they come to a place where they both can't survive in the same paddock with their flocks and everything. And, and, and we got we to gotta split up here. And Abraham says, okay, you pick first. You go ahead and choose. I'll take what's left over. That's gentleness. That's, that's power under control. Then a man named Moses comes along, and Moses has kind of a bad start to life. He gets put in a, a, a little boat and floated down the Nile, and uh, Pharaoh's daughter sees him, takes him in, and he gets raised in Pharaoh's house. He becomes the second most powerful person in Egypt. Sees some Israelites getting beat up and abused by some Egyptians. He's so strong, he's so powerful, not just in his uh, position as the second to Pharaoh, but in his physical strength, he, he, he kills somebody that's beating <laughs> his fellow Israelites up. Yet the Bible says about Moses, he was a, a gentle and a kind person. He was a, a kind man. He got that power under control. And then Joseph, these are all called patriarchs. They're they're the sons of, of the tribes. And Joseph comes along, and Joseph gets put in prison by his own brothers. He gets sold out in Potiphar's house. And then he becomes, just like Moses, he, he becomes the right-hand man uh, of Pharaoh. Things have changed now. This is a different Pharaoh. And, and Joseph comes along with all of that power. And there's famine in the land. He sees his his own brothers that sold him into slavery coming to get some food. They don't recognize him. He has power to destroy, but instead he forgives them. He embraces them. He feeds them. He's known as a gentleman, a gentle man, and he blesses them. He's got power, but he's got it under control. I think about Paul. We talked about him. I think about Jesus, obviously, has all the power. <laughs> all power, all power and authority, he says, is given unto me. 
He created the universe with his word. He is the word. He has all power and authority. He can, he can call down legions of angels. Just one angel could destroy the whole planet. He's got power over thousands and tens of thousands of supernatural beings. What does he choose to do? Being in the form of God, thought of not robbery to be equal with God, Philippians. Humbled himself. Humility, gentleness, even to the point of the cross. He washes the disciples' feet, the creator of the universe, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, washes their feet. They push back. What are you doing? He's modeling something to them. All power and all authority, he says, is given unto me. Now you go. I've given you power. I've given you authority to transact business. Now keep it under control. Don't abuse your power. A lot of believers and Christ followers, they've got this power, but it's out of control. It's the wild horse. Well, I'm still going to heaven. I've got, I've got a right to quarrel and argue and do whatever I want. Well, no, you actually don't. You're supposed to be giving that up and yielding that. Put a bid in it. Get it under control. I watch some of our, I quit kind of watching most of the conversations on social media, especially, you know, during the last U.S. election. It's coming back around, guys, so get ready for it. Hang on. I don't know why, what that, what's that got to do with Australia, but, you know, watched the coronation last night and I love the fact that God was mentioned about 15 million times, and I think somebody might get the point that, that it's important. It's in a church, uh, uh, you know, this, the, the king submitted, submitted to the king, uh, the gentleness of that, the, the uh, power under control, but that's every one of us. If you're in the kingdom of God, he's the king. He gives you delegated authority. How are you using it? To get on and win arguments? To stir things up? Like that's one of the most ungodly things that a believer could do. It's no wonder a lot of people don't want what we got. Gentleness is having your strength under control. It's a beautiful thing to watch somebody that's gentle. It's a beautiful thing, but it involves your speech, your actions, your attitudes. Showing respect and empathy towards others, even in difficult situations. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 10.1, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face, gentle, in other words, but bold toward you, went away. There's a strength and a power that he's using, focused in his prayer life, focused in those encouraging letters that we know as the epistles, letters from Paul that he wrote to encourage the church of that day that echoes forward in the corridors of time to encourage you and I today. That, that power under control echoes forth. Gentleness, not weakness. The reward of meekness or gentleness is massive. Now listen to this, because if Jesus didn't say it, I probably wouldn't believe it, but he says this in, in 
probably the most important sermon ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, we're just going to look at one verse out of different translations, however. In Matthew 5, 5, NIV, blessed are the meek. That, that word meek is, is prowess. It's the same word for gentleness. Blessed are the meek. Why are they blessed? What's the blessing of being gentle? What's the blessing of being meek? For they will inherit the earth. Not fight and scrap for it. Not quarrel over it. Not destroy it. But inherit it. In other words, it's given to you not based upon your works, but by your position in him, your relationship as a son and a daughter. The NASB says this, Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the humble, same word, for they will inherit the earth. New Living Translation says this, these won't come up, but listen, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. What is it that you're blessed in? Well, just ask yourself, who owns the earth? And look at your neighbor and look in the mirror. And if you're gentle, the blessing is that you own the whole earth. You will inherit the whole earth. That can start today. You may not take the whole thing today, but man, you can surely take a slice of relationships, of the economy that, we, that you wish that you had, uh, of using the power that you actually do have. Sometimes we think, I've got no power. Yes, you do. If you're in Christ, you've got, you've got more power than you even imagined. How are, you, how are you using that with your attitude? How, how are you using that with your speech? How, how are you using that little bit of wealth that God gave you? See, wealth is a weapon. It's a weapon of mass destruction or a weapon of mass salvation. It's your call. Point a weapon at yourself, you're going to die. Point it outwardly towards poverty and towards all the problems of this world. And that weapon is no longer a, a weapon to kill you, to suicide, but that weapon pointed outward is a weapon of mass salvation in your world. That's power. That's gentleness under control. That's humility. That's what it means to be meek, not weak. And that's what God expects us to do with what we've got. You start to step that out in your life. You start to inherit the whole earth. I'm excited about that because I think about that who's going to inherit the earth. It's not the brawler or the person that's scrapping all the time. They don't inherit the earth. They're trying to conquer it in their own ability. The meek receive what the weak try to take. It's a weak person that's scrapping all the time. That's a weak person it's a weak person that's fighting for their rights. I've got, the, I've got my rights. Well, you're a really weak person because the highest right that you have is to give up your rights. 
They say, carry it one mile. Jesus, carry it two. They want your coat. Give them, give them that and give them your other garment as well. Whatever that is. Meekness is not weakness. Your power that you have, and we've all got it. God gave it to us. That ability to bless other people and to lay down your rights and quit fighting for your rights and quit quarreling about all of these things. It's all through Scripture. Looks like some of us look like we got next to nothing, but you wait. One of the things I want you to start to say when you feel like your life is being run over for, for being a Christian, just start to say this. You know, it may look like persecution it's not, doesn't feel good, but my inheritance is on its way. My inheritance is on its way. I own all of this by inheritance. Do you know who you're talking to? And somebody's arguing, they're wanting to pick a fight with you, and they're trying to get you into the ring and trying to get you to argue back and fight back. If you're a confident person and a gentle person, you don't have to scrap about any of it because you know your inheritance is on its way. According to Jesus, you own it all. may not look like it, but you can take his word to the bank for eternity. The whole earth is yours if you're gentle, if you're meek, if you're humble. You inherit. You don't fight for it. You inherit it. Have you ever looked at somebody that looked like they had nothing? We talked about somebody that looks like they got it all, but have you ever looked at somebody that looked like they don't have anything and you find out that they actually have a lot? I remember when, um, when I was first became a Christian in San Diego and I was saved at 1555 8th Avenue, the Esther Hotel, and... <laughs> The owner of that hotel, Mrs. Peterson, managed it. She was one of the ladies that witnessed to me. And, but there was an owner. His name was Roy Yonkers, Mr. Yonkers, we called him. He owned all these hotels in the middle of the city. And my first job back then was working for a utility, San Diego Gas and Electric Company. And back then we had microfiche. I don't know if you remember what that is, but you couldn't go you know, to your computer and find stuff out. You had to go get these. It was film, like microfiche. And anyway, look it up, Google it. You'll see <laughs> what it is. And, and so I'd look up an address. And, and because Mrs. Peterson said, uh, oh, Mr. Yonkers, he owns all of that. He owns the Aster. He owns that one over there and that one over there. But if you looked at Mr. Yonkers, he wore the same gray suit jacket that was so filthy, you just want to take it off and shake it, but there'd be a dust storm, like seriously. He had a germ fetish, kind of like Howard Hughes or something. He had keys to all of these units and things, and he had a piece of paper because he wouldn't touch the key, wouldn't touch a doorknob. Um, he was just so afraid of germs, but he was one big walking germ. Like, I don't know, what he would have had all kinds of diseases and stuff. He just looked like, he looked like somebody seriously that you'd see on the side of the road and give money to him because he's so poor, obviously. And Mr. Yonkers would have a bag and it looked like the bag might have had a wine bottle in it or something. You think, oh, look at there. That old guy's got a 
problem with drinking. He's got his wine bottle in, the, in a paper bag. The paper bag was loaded with money, and he would take the collection, the takings from the hotels, and walk all the way down the street to the bank in the middle of the city to deposit a lot of money. He had lots of money. He was filthy rich, owned all of these things. I looked it up on the microfiche because I had access to that because of my job, and it's like I looked at different properties, Roy Yonkers, Roy Yonkers, Roy Yonkers. Like He owned like half the city in the middle of the, of the city there. Like, I was blown away. How could a guy that had all that power and all that wealth look like he had none of it? And in your life right now, you might not look like anything. You might look like plain Jane, plain Bob, I don't know, whatever. You might, you might look like Mr. Yonkers, kind of like, well, hopefully not. Men, don't marry her. Don't even go out with her. She looks like Mr. Yonkers. Uh, <laughs> but you look like you got nothing going for you. You inherit the whole earth is yours. Just look at who owns it. I think people would treat you differently if they knew <laughs> what's yours. But I think that you would treat people differently too if you knew what they own. If you knew what their inheritance was, along with the saint, all the saints, I think we would treat each other with respect, with kindness, with gentleness, if we really believe that. If we believe that you're actually talking to us somebody, no matter what. And all these people, a great cloud of witnesses, Joseph, David, I didn't even talk about David, known for his kindness. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, this is, this is gentleness. He said, instead, instead of using them and usurping authority or power over them, instead we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. That's gentleness. The gentle shall inherit the earth. Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So I want to give you just some habits of an heir of Christ, some ways that you can develop gentleness before we close. Number one, behold your behavior. Look at your behavior. Take a good look at how you behave. 2 Timothy 2.23 to 26. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. I ought to let that sink in. Because most of the stuff that I see Christ followers arguing about is stupid and foolish arguments. Because you know, <laughs> don't you know, Paul didn't have the internet yet. Like, like he didn't have it. Like, you know, they produce quarrels. Here's his advice for us, really a command, if you say you're a servant of the Lord. And the Lord's servant, point your finger at yourself, not your neighbor. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone who agrees with you and takes your stand and is part of your particular political party. 
is to the same left or right that you are. Now, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. But what about my opposition? Opponents must be gently instructed. Get it? Gentleness? Fruit? Gentle? Gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Now, I just want to carve them up on, on Facebook and carve them up, slice and dice them, win that argument so everybody knows who knows most. I want to win. And they will come to their senses, verse 26, and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. How, how aware are you of your behavior in light of Scripture? Well, pray for understanding. Pray for understanding for yourself so that you might know what the triggers are in your life that trigger you off on an anger tangent. Pray for understanding of your behavior and the patterns that are in your life that are recurring over and over that suck you in the quarrel, quarreling arguments with people and scrapping and fighting and, and, and get you to forget about that the meek, the, the, the gentle shall inherit, not fight for it, inherit the earth, not destroy the earth, but inherit the earth. Pray for understanding. Be aware of your behavior. Number two, Develop empathy towards others. What a great word, empathy. Put yourself in their place. Put, the, put yourself in another person's shoes. Understand their pers perspective and their feelings. Show empathy and compassion towards others. Avoid being judgmental and critical. Be willing to listen attentively and be patient with other people, even if they don't agree with you. Number three, learn a new language. Now, I've downloaded an app several years ago called Duolingo to help me learn more Spanish. Got some words, but man, I couldn't put the sentences together. All the grammar that's involved. We got students staying with us learning English. They're from Japan. And, uh, you know, if you've ever tried to learn a new language, you know how frustrating that can be, how hard it can be. And Really, the only way to learn it is get in the middle of it, immerse yourself in conversations. It's really important that we, we, need, we learn a new language and practice the language of gentleness. Gentleness is a language. Proverbs 15.1 says this. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You see, you can say the same thing with two inflections of tone, tonal inflections in your voice, and the outcome of that is totally different. Can you believe it? Or, wow, can you believe it? Is that yours? Is that yours? said the same words. One of them's not coming out of a spirit of gentleness. It's nothing to do with the fruit of the Spirit. I can't believe you. I can't believe you. 
Like, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> you get the point? There's a language to gentleness that diffuses arguments. Choose words that are kind, encouraging, respectful. And avoid hurtful language and sarcasm that hurts other people and escalates conflict. Number four, respond instead of react. Respond in the spirit instead of reacting in the flesh. You face a challenging situation, take a moment, pause, think about how you're going to respond in the spirit of God and not react in the flesh. So responding, it involves thoughtful consideration, calm demeanor, while reacting may involve emotional outburst, impulsive behavior. Practice self-control. It'll foster healthy relationships. If you want to get along with your boss, don't raise your voice if the boss raises their voice. If you want to have a, a better marriage and your spouse goes off, don't, don't escalate your, your, your voice and start yet. Just talk kindly, quiet, gentle. Be gentle. Have that power that you have, that forgiveness, the Spirit of God. Have it under control. Number five, let go of grudges. Forgive yourself and others. So holding on to bitterness and resentment hinders the growth of gentleness in your life. We have to be quick to forgive, to reconcile and move forward. Number six, embrace the spirit of humility. Humility recognizes I'm not perfect, so why would I expect them to be perfect? Acknowledge your mistakes and shortcomings instead of being defensive and proud. Be willing to learn from others. Avoid the arrogance of self-righteousness. Instead, cultivate a spirit of humility and meekness. And then number seven, and I'd like our worship team to come up. We're out of time. Number seven kind of sums the whole thing up. Follow the example of Jesus. You won't go wrong if you just look at his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, what Paul had to write about him. He's the ultimate example Study and meditate his teachings, his actions. Strive to let him be your example because there are incredible blessings waiting for you through the fruit of the Spirit called gentleness. Let me pray for you and pray for myself as well. <laughs> I, I know I'm speaking to some, some of us. Humility causes me to say us. I'm not out here and you're there. But the flesh has been sabotaging what the Spirit's trying to do in your life. God wants to remove that from your life before it destroys you. Things like uncontrolled anger, it'll destroy you. Sabotage your relationship. Uncontrolled fear magnifies your failures, the failures of other people, sabotages your future and their future. Using uncontrolled anger to control others to get them to do what you want them to do. That's nothing to do with inheriting what's already yours. There is great power and the spiritual fruit is a force of gentleness. I remember the first time I saw Niagara Falls and all that water, that power, and they harnessed it to create hydroelectricity, a hydroelectric dam. 
power, not of an uncontrolled river, but of a controlled power generator. God wants that for you right now. Would you learn to control the power and strength that you have in your attitude, in your vocabulary, in your position in life, whatever that is, to be a gentle person, a gentlewoman, a gentleman. If you would learn to do that, God will teach you and take you to a new height in life. You'll have more than enough for you, of course, but you can empower whole generations as part of the mission of this church. The hand of God will reach out into nations that are waiting for something called the gospel, that are worshiping useless idols and destroying ideologies. God wants to take his church to be a force in our community. We inherit. We don't have to quarrel about it. Father, I just thank you for every person here. Help us to reflect. Help us to behold our behavior. Not to point the finger at somebody else's behavior, but to look at our own, to identify patterns, to identify the triggers in our life that set us off, to use your power to overcome that. I thank you right now for every person here or watching online that doesn't know you yet. So I pray this prayer. If you want to be included and ask Jesus Christ into your heart, turn from who you are without him, give your life to him so that he can take you to a place that you could never go without him, to make him the Lord of your life. If you want to pray that prayer with me and with all of us, just say this after me. Say, Dear God, I turn from my own way. I repent. I turn to you, Jesus. I give you my heart. I make you the Lord of my life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.